Hi, and welcome to the Green with Tiffany podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Page. And in this show, we'll explore topics of sustainable living, all aspects of health and wellness of people and planet, and how we're all interconnected. Join us on this journey to live better and more sustainably by improving our health, our families, and the world with the choices that we make. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Green with Tiffany. I am happy to be here and excited to share on a topic that is very close to my heart. It's plastic pollution. And we have here uh, Angela Sun. She is a journalist and a producer correspondent and the documentary filmmaker of a film that I really think shaped where we are today because it was called Plastic or is called Plastic Paradise, The Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Welcome, Angela Sun, a very good friend of mine. So happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Tiff, for having me. Thanks for joining us. And Angela's a new mom, and uh, I'm so happy you were able to take some time away to be with us. Since we're talking about plastic pollution and Plastic Free July is this month, what have you found to be kind of some of your biggest challenges with a a newborn and, and plastic? Gosh, everything. Everything is a challenge (laughs) as a new mom, but furthermore, when you think about how much plastic goes into baby products, it's even more frightening and to see even like with diapers, diapers is a big one. Uh, There's uh, this push with compostable or bamboo diapers. And upon further research, as I've done with my film and learning about all the different types of plastics that actually can be recycled, can be composted or whatnot. There's a lot of greenwashing involved even, I mean, especially in the baby products that I use as well. And so when you think you're spending a premium to buy like the best bamboo compostable diaper, that's not going to harm the environment or more environmentally friendly or green, it actually isn't because it still needs to be heated at a certain facility. It has to be treated in a certain way. Like, it really just ends up in the landfill a lot of the times, uh, which is unfortunate. And then you have, you know, this balance that you're trying to find with, well, do you use reusable diapers? Because then there's all the water involved and the cleaning agents to actually clean it and cost benefit what's better for the environment um, and better for your little one's bum, you know? So like learning all of these things is a whole I mean, it's like a Pandora's box of things you can learn about. And that's just diapers, not including even right now I'm exclusively pumping, which is another term I learned about, um, which is somewhere in between formula and breastfeeding where you're actually feeding them breast milk, but not nursing. And there's so many parts and most of them are plastic. And I use glass bottles, but inside I use the Dr. Brown's and like the inside vent is plastic. And then I have a sterilizer, but do I use the sterilizer because that could leach out what I mean, they, they say that everything's BPA free right now, but you and I both know that that's just semantics, right? Because bisphenol A is just one component of things that could leach out from plastic. So they could, of course, it could say it's BPA free, but what about BPF or BP, whatever they didn't name. So there's no labeling in the types of plastic. So once, but what we do know is if you heat it to hot temperatures, it can leach. And so I definitely chose glass bottles, but again, like all the other components of it are still plastic parts. You know, there are parts that are plastic, like the collar and the little cap and all the pump parts are plastic. And I tried actually using glass uh, containers to, to hold the milk, but it kept falling because the glass is so heavy. So unless you sit there 
and not move, the whole point of the portability of that is taken away if you add the glass component. So there's a lot. <laughs> and that's, that's just two a things. Lot. That's a lot. And just to underline what you just said, what heated plastic is the most toxic. Heated plastic, it leaches. But, you know, and you're someone in the know, right? You're in the know of things yeah. and it's hard to navigate. So can you imagine how the average person who, you know, is maybe being introduced to trying to use less plastic and trying to navigate their way through and then the greenwashing, like, what do you do? I mean, that's just so right. complicated. So you really have to you know, maybe find somebody who knows more or follow brands that are are doing it right from the start. And maybe that's all they do yeah. versus, you know, a brand that does a little bit of green here, but then, you know, does mainstream stuff over here. Just to close up on that, I feel like everyone kind of just slaps like a green leaf on something and says, look, it's eco or like, this is, you know, they add the a bowl at the end, like compost a bowl, recycle la bowl, but it's not actually like made from uh, post-consumer plastic. It's not made from our old plastic because that's too hard to do um, because it's volatile materials and there's all different types, right? So it's not going to be proper, especially for a baby to do, to use that. But anything that's a bowl, compostable, recyclable, doesn't mean anything except for that, hey, you can do this. You know, it's not like it's actually, it, it's still introducing virgin plastics in, Right. You know? So and it's, it's not possible, but probably not probable. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, but yes. So, and this all started, you know, I started learning about this from my film, which you had mentioned. And that's actually how we met. I was thinking, I was yes. like, how do we meet? I was like, we met through the film. And we met when uh, you were, I think we had talked on a lot of different panels and different uh, events and stuff. Yeah. I think South by Southwest Eco which was such mm -hmm. a great event. I don't think it exists anymore, but that's where we met. And you were just tireless on this film. I, and I, I, it's so interesting because how long did it take to actually make the film? Five years? It took me, well, I took breaks in between. So one of the hardest things about creating an doc, independent documentary film is that, well, A, you just got to believe in yourself and keep doing it. But B, you got to find financing and funding. And it's pretty hard to do that for something like plastics, um, when, especially when people didn't really know about what was going on with plastics, but it's not sexy. It's not cute panda <laughs> bears. It's not like tigers. It's not like Tiger King. You know, there's no like hook. It's literally this boring thing that's everywhere that's plastic. But I felt like the story needed to be told because it was everywhere, right? And we come in contact with it every single day of our lives. Most people in first through third world, I mean, developing nations for sure come in contact with plastic at some point every day of our lives, unless you live in Papua New Guinea in the highlands, you know? Was it your love of the ocean that, that inspired it or what, what, I mean, because there wasn't a lot of information out there when you were doing this, like what, what set you off on the journey that I have to, I have to show this. I think I got inspired by hearing about it through a news article back in 2006 or seven. I was like, what? There's some patch in the ocean of plastic. And of course, the first thing that comes to mind that everyone thinks about is this floating island of trash, like, a, you know, something that you can stand on and everything. And so that sparked the curiosity. And then uh, through the years, so I was working full time for uh, Al Gore's network, which is now 
defunct, but current TV at the time. And then I, you know, got in touch with Noah and did the whole like researching and um, going through the red tape of applying for applications and everything and not knowing how to make a documentary because I didn't come from that. I came from TV and also I never went to film school or anything. So I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so just kind of like asking people for favors and asking friends for information or have, pulling resources together. Um, and then finally had an opportunity, like this tiny little window to go out to Midway Atoll and and go and shoot this thing. And so you kind of like take a giant leap of faith, put things on a credit card and, you know, hope that your friend that you worked with at MTV once in Blue Moon, like was a- able to come with and, you know, finagled that. And uh, it was definitely a trip of a lifetime that really set everything into motion. And then how to tell that story as we crafted it, as it came back, it was such a learning curve for me as a producer and writer. And I think I never wanted to be part of the story. I wanted to just tell the story straight, but plastic is kind of pretty boring, right? Like, unless there's some sort of personal connection. So my connection is, yeah, I've always loved the oceans and that curiosity. When I heard about this floating island of trash, I had to go out there and check it out. And then you kind of just go, you know, like no pun intended, but you dive too deep, right? Like you just, you're deep in there and you're just like, I just got to go hit the bottom. And I got to like unpeel all the layers of the onion and let people know what's going on because there's so much that we don't know, or just the mainstream media wouldn't even put out there because it's not something we think about. And there's no going back once you know. And that's such a visual. And I think that was the big deal when I, around the same time as when I started hearing about this great Pacific garbage patch. And what does that look like? It's an island. Can you stand on it? What I mean, what is, I I just wanted to see it. And there were no pictures at the time. You couldn't find photos of anything. And so yours, your movie was such a visual because you pull up to this island and, and you can actually elaborate a little bit more exactly where that is. And you just see all this plastic and it's it's really the visuals so shocking. Where so where is Midway Atoll exactly? So it's midway point between Japan and the US in the North Pacific. So that's one of the gyres. So we learn later that obviously you're in, uh, introduced and uh, a part of five gyres expeditions, um, and they were starting out at that time as well. But that there's five gyres of plastic uh, sort of vortexes in the ocean that are like these bathtubs that don't drain but there's these doldrums where there's no currents. And so Midway Atoll is um, in between the Pacific, and, or sorry, in between Asia and the California coast, the West coast of the United States. And it's four hours north of the main Hawaiian islands, but it's part of the Hawaiian island chain. So when I went there, it wasn't even a marine monument. Uh, President Obama afterwards went over and made Papahanaumokuake, a national marine monument. So now it's protected. But because of the way the currents are, it was like the fine tooth comb that collected all of the trash from the gyre. So it was actually, I believe it's like a little south of the actual like eye of the gyre. But when you, you know, like there still are no pictures of it because you can't really get see there. pictures of it, right? Well, I mean, you can get there, but I remember Billabong wanted to do something and they wanted to fly their seaplane and they flew around. And I was like, that's, there's no point because you're not going to get that crazy visual. But where I was at, that's where all of the stuff sit, like ended up. Accumulated. And that's where a lot of, yeah, the north sides of the Hawaiian island changed, even the main ones. That's where a lot of it ends up. Um, and Camilo Beach in the big island, actually, there's a lot that washes up up there as well. And they've done a lot from the state side 
to deal with that. But again, as it washes up on the beaches, one thing you can do is collect it and then they bring it to the incinerator. So that's also off-gassing a lot of, I don't know, different chemicals and such. But it's kind of when we see things like the ocean cleanup and what they're doing or like people trying to go and rake the ocean, I don't think people understand how massive this giant big blue planet that we live on really is and that we are just this tiny speck and if you know more than 80% of the earth is covered with water like you can't just rake through it like you can't just take a broom or like a rake and just kind of collect all the plastic without killing all the wildlife without you know uh, and it's deep in the water column with the you know it's miles deep so I think because we know more about the moon than the sea like there's still so much more left to discover and uncover but I think that's also why there's no like red alarm, like send the smoke signals that like we are literally choking our oceans of plastic, right? Because we can't see it. Yes. And I, I, you know, and I appreciate the efforts to try and clean up or take care of something after the fact, you know, but 14 million tons, tons of plastic are going into the ocean every year. That's uh, that's just insane. And it's just growing. They say it's going to, the number of plastic production is going up by 40% in the next handful of years. So, you know, yes, it's better than, I guess, nothing, but it's almost like there's a, I have, <laughs> my, uh, my guy's dad, he had a saying, if you always keep your room clean, then you never have to clean your room. So it's almost like you have to shut it off before it gets to the ocean. We have to make the change. We need to find solutions versus just trying to clean it up because obviously, like you said, it's not going to work. I mean, I went to, so you that was the Pacific gyre and I went to the North Atlantic gyre and we sailed mm-hmm, from right. Bermuda to Iceland. It was like 3,000 miles and a very unknown trail that we took and we did samples and just on the surface. So we're, we're not even talking about what's below the surface. And in every single sample, I think we did 32 samples, it had little microplastics in it. And to the average person that might be like, oh, so what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. It's just little pieces of plastic. You know, it's nothing visually shocking, but it's almost worse because how do you fix that if it's in the most remote yeah. areas? So I think that's why people don't understand the gravity of the situation. You know, until like, when are we going to finally realize that this is a massive, massive problem that anything that happens on the ocean will affect everything that happens on land? You know, I just did a story on dinoflagellates and the phytoplankton and how phytoplankton is one of the biggest carbon sinks in the world. They suck in that greenhouse gas. But at the same time, like those algae blooms that we're seeing is because of warming oceans, right? There's so many issues that are going around around our oceans, you know, rising sea levels, uh, temperature rises, um, the plastic smog that's, that's in there, um, that until we have people, uh, I, I don't know how to get people to understand except for to do it through media and do it through experiencing things and then sharing about those experiences, which is what I did with Plastic Paradise is like, it made it, it became personal, right? But because plastic is such a ubiquitous material and in our everyday mundane lives, it should become personal for all of us, right? It's just how do we get people activated enough? And I think that through media, whether it be social, whether it be through a film, whether it be through snail mail or whatever, like what I've seen change throughout the time that I started doing this and from the time that we've we've met too is this bell curve of this next generation that's super activated and this youth that have this like climate anxiety because they're like you know it's they call it eco-anxiety I guess that they are 
carrying the burden of our problems of what the last generations have done. And especially now with the whole, I don't want to get into it, but the um, the Supreme Court now blocking the EPA from certain certain things. Yeah, and, that's, and a whole, and <laughs> that's a whole another bag of that's a whole other worms, topic, you know, because to open. Plastic has, I mean, and, the, and what goes into play a little bit with that, if I mean, for plastic is oil, plastic comes from fossil fuel. So, you know, if we're moving to a place of more electric vehicles, more hybrid vehicles, gas prices are going up, less fuel, well, these companies still want to make money. So what are they going to do? Well, they can make more plastic. There's no shortage of need for plastic. And the single use plastic is what makes them money. So it's just pushed forward. And, you know, plastic obviously is a great material. And it, it it helps a lot of people with a lot of things. So I don't want to dismiss plastic for the uses that it has. So I just wanted to be really clear, you know, for people who are kind of just getting involved with plastic pollution and what that means. It's really the single use plastics. It's, you know, the mm-hmm. water bottle that's eight ounces that you drink out of, you finish it and you throw it away and there's no away or the grocery bags or the produce bags or you know, your utensils. But now, since your film, there has been all these ordinances that are going into place all over the world, which is so amazing. But it's taken, think about how much time it's taken to get to this place. I mean, better late than never. Over a decade. And I mean, you think about it the same way. Well, if we think about it, like the way we saw smoking ordinances, you know, people used to smoke in planes, they used to smoke in restaurants, you know, then they've realized the health risks. I know, right? Now we think like, oh my God, that was so shocking. I think the younger generation is like, why you used to put things in a plastic bag or you never carried your own water bottle? That's so weird, you know, at least the activated youth that we that we know um, or that I know that I'm around. But it is striking to me when I travel and go to different parts of our country or abroad when it is still very typical to have plastic bottles everywhere, plastic water bottles. And the cutlery is huge, especially with the pandemic. People have been even more like, oh, obviously with COVID, uh, we want to be sanitary and, you know, we can't we can't take your to-go wear and put to-go stuff in there if we're delivering food or whatnot, right? But there's certain tips and stuff that, oh, and the masks, the disposable masks that are all over the place, masks right? Masks terrible. It's like one of the worst things probably. I wonder how yeah. many we've, we've thrown away over the last couple of years. Millions. I mean, hundreds of millions, but I do think that you can still be mindful within that type, within that parameters that we have, but it is a daily thing. And so I think one of the things that I'd encourage people to do is from a tip standpoint is just to think of progress over perfection and just try to start small. And from that, I think starting small and sharing what you're doing with somebody I think because that gives you that accountability because you're like, not that you have to be like some green crusader, but if you tell someone, it becomes real, right? I mean, like, it's kind of like, if you didn't post it, did it really happen? But, uh, you know, just even if you just tell someone, you don't have to like shout it from the social media mountaintops. But I do feel like that solidifies that you are doing something um, for yourself mentally. At least for me, that works. And since it's Plastic Free July. It's Plastic Free July it's the perfect time to start. And I love that it started, you know, Australia has been a huge country that has pushed things forward as well. And being a small, smaller, well, 20 million plus population too, they, they're pretty activated because most of them are on the coast, like 80% of the population there lives on the coast. And so they see it. Um, For us, 
unless you live on the coast, you know, how do you care or how do you see it if it's inland, right? Well, I think people think that they're recycling, so they're doing their part. And I think it's just a, a misnomer. Unfortunately, I lived in a place before I moved to where I am where all trash went in one bin and then they pulled out the recyclables, which I never thought would work anyway. So I would I would I would take make sure my recyclables, I would take them, the ones that I had, and I would take them to the recycling center to make sure they weren't contaminated or anything. And now that's even less what they'll take back because they don't even take a lot of the recyclables. So everything you think of your plastic that's going in now, I have the blue bin, the recycling bin, it's like uh, like 90 plus percent of what mm-hmm. you think is being recycled is not being recycled. I mean, just mm-hmm. a small amount is being recycled. And if you think about how much waste we create every day, we can't keep up with that. There's not enough. We don't need that much material to recycle, right? To make into new products right. that are not going to be what they were before. So like you were talking about uh, what we were doing before with our, our plastic waste, which we're not doing anymore, but that wasn't a solution either. If you wanted to speak on that. Yeah. So basically in 2018, like China decided to shut the doors on the US because our biggest export to China was actually our trash, which is crazy because we import so much from China. And obviously the trade has been affected through the pandemic with uh, the backlog of things. And I thought that was really interesting that basically they clamped down this iron curtain so that they weren't going to, they're like, we are not your dumping ground for the world. And so they just shut it down. And so certain countries, especially in Europe, had to come up with other ideas and how do you deal with, especially if you don't have any land and your landfills are full, like what are you going to do with this trash and coming up with innovative ways to deal with that. But in the US, our trash basically, until we put value in something, like intrinsic value into our trash, like one man's trash is another person's treasure, um, and create and innovate products that can you know, be reused. I just uh, spoke to somebody, I did a story on using trash plastic, single-use plastic trash as our building blocks for, for building homes, which is really you know, such a unique idea. And I feel like until we have those ideas put into motion, it's just it's definitely piling up and taking up a lot of that landfill space. Um, I've been to Murph, um, seen what can be recycled and what can't. And they hand, it is true, they handpick out all the things especially during the pandemic, a lot of these smaller recyclers, I interviewed another smaller recycler that was local and they were saying it's hard to make ends meet because, uh, you know, they don't value it as much and they don't take as much because what can you make from that single use that's made to be used once besides using the PET, which is number one, which is mainly water bottles or the milk jugs are number two. Like who really looks at the bottom of your plastic things, except for me and you probably, you know, like, and some really (laughs) other activated, but like individuals and you got to rinse it out and everything. Right. And so, you know, when people think that, oh, I'll just throw my pizza box in there, it's compostable. Now your pizza box can go into your compost pile, which is really neat and interesting. And I think with California's new compost law going into effect, where the state is mandating that there be compost bins everywhere, but then leaving it to local jurisdictions to figure it out. It's it's kind of going the way of, you know, waste in general, whether it be food waste or plastic waste or whatnot. These local ordinances are really what's going to kind of push that needle. But what pushes that is voters, right? Because the voters, we vote in our local city councils and stuff, and we're the ones who are pushing for that change or pushing for certain things. Um, and I think 
even though our plastic is is not getting recycled very much, like less than I believe it's less than eight to six percent. I know for the world, it is less than eight percent of plastic gets recycled. But it's actually terrifying, <laughs> right? I know, you know, it's like something, but really, is it something? At least in our own local ways, we can start by buying local. Trying to, I went and did a story on a refill station. You know, going zero waste, like all the things that you talk about on Green with Tiffany. Um, those are great tips, and I think it just takes a little activation on our parts. And honestly, I think it's the younger generation that motivates the older, right? So when I think about it, and now even more so, being a new mom, I'm like, oh, I need to protect this for him because my little guy is going to grow up one day. And have to deal with all this mess, you know? So be like Wally with all the trash. <laughs> ah. oh, I, I think the good news, I'm I'm just kind of looking at notes because there are so many ordinances and I'm not going to go over what each one is, but the fact that they've passed the assembly bill 2026 is now going to state Senate, I think. And it's for e-commerce packaging, like inside. That's amazing. I didn't even know that was happening. And, the, you know, there's now something about the produce bags. There's the ban on you have to ask before it was, we started with the straw and you have to ask for straws now, but now there's, you have to ask for the condiments or the utensils and McDonald's is doing a big push with that, which is amazing because I think McDonald's, it's hard to pinpoint just one company that, you know, made this difference. But if you think about single use plastics and I know that you or disposable plastics that you have a little bit in your film about where it came from and when it started, which was great little, tip on history. But I watched that movie, The Founder, and it was about the McDonald's and where they were used to be serving their things on actual plates with actual cutlery. Mm -hmm. And then they moved to these disposables. But everybody was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And of course, how could you foresee back then like where it would go and how far it would go? But now we need to figure out how to get back to what we were doing before, which was reusables and things that aren't just being used for a short time and then being thrown away and then there's no away and it lasts forever and ever. On a side note, like when I was out at Midway, um, Conservation International was there and their board was there. And one of the people on the board was the owner of Walmart and, or, you know, the CEO or whatever. He was like the top dog at Walmart. And uh, there was all these sort of like top dogs from these corporations from around the world. And I was like, wow, this group could really change the world literally by just banning the plastic bag from all of your stores or the big box stores or whatnot. Right. And so I think it takes the push against big corporations to really do that, whether it be a McDonald's or a Walmart or whatever it is. And it also, you know, as much as a consumer can do that we can do as voters and, you know, voting with our wallet and whatnot, I do think that we need to push for those laws that are going to regulate those corporations that are in the interest of, you know, cheap product and just churn and burn in to be able to really amplify and push that needle. But what I do think is I look back at the smoking stuff and what's going on with health and, and the smoking bans and stuff. And then I think, okay, we can do it. We can push back on big tobacco. We can push back on big plastic and big oil. It, it just takes that little that nudge. And, and I see it, I see it in the younger generations. I see it in the teens that are super activated and the people that I've worked with really get fired up and the nonprofits that are popping up, um, that are doing a lot. They're doing a lot. And you know, what I find when they all come together and work together, they move the needle so much more too. you know, a band, Mm -hmm. a banded, uh, togetherness. They they just, 
effort, they really get it done. So that's been really impressive to watch. What I did notice, though, and I feel like the American Chemistry Council is pretty crafty, and they're the ones that oversee plastic use. And so at Target, they now have plastic bags. So here we have a plastic bag ban on single-use plastic bags, which they did, but they brought in a much heavier, thicker weighted (laughs) plastic bag. And I just couldn't believe it. And I'm re- so I go to do some research and I realize that it's now not considered single use because it's so thick and heavy that it's a reusable bag. So right. you almost have to be careful what you put out there and you have to make sure to try and be 10 steps ahead of what they're going to do to retaliate because they don't want to stop making their plastic. And now these bags have even, you know, they're even thicker. They use more plastic. I mean, okay, maybe yeah. people are using them more, but there's quite a few that are probably just you know, they bring their stuff home, they empty it, they throw it in the trash. Or maybe they use it as a trash liner and then they throw it in the trash. But it's a really thick bag. Have you seen this bag? <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen uh, it. And I remember them core. coming out with it. Yeah, I remember them coming out with it. And I thought that was like, okay, that's an interesting workaround. Um, but that's what I mean with actually being a new mom and dealing with the bisphenol A situation. I think until we have labeling and until we have laws where these plastic makers need to label what is actually in the chemicals that make up what they're making, um, it's going to be really hard to to kind of prove and hold them accountable unless you could freak them out. Like, you know, when I found out there was bisphenol A in receipt paper. and That was such a big one for me. Reaches. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then, that, you know, it's because the receipt paper is soft and it's kind of like, you know, uh, you could feel the film on your hands if you're doing your taxes and kind of have all your receipts together. I mean, now everything's digital, but you know, back in the day when we were sorting through and putting things in envelopes and whatnot, or the clerk at the store who's working eight hour shifts and dealing with receipts and touching that every day with people. Obviously, the pandemic really changed everything and everything. a lot of things are contactless. Then there's the idea of all the takeout food and the containers um, that people, the Instacarts, the Amazons, the on-demand, the packaging. The packaging is everything, right? So... I really enjoy buy nothing groups <laughs> on Facebook. I feel like it's the best part of Facebook uh, for the older people who might be listening, um, for the younger people who don't have Facebook <laughs> and are on TikTok. Um, I would say, I don't know if there's a buy nothing group there, but buy nothing groups, I think uh, that community shared economy idea that gives life to things that would be thrown away usually. Yeah, that's a great tip. I have friends that love it. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. It just, it's um, the other thing. I, I really think glass is the way to go, at least for a, a lot of the baby products that if you can, I'm not too sure. I haven't done so much research on silicone things, like if this, the silicone leaches, but I know silicone is another alternative, like the stasher bags and, um, you know, using silicone to, to hold things even to freeze breast milk. <laughs> that is my life right now, every three hours. And the diapers one is really hard. But I do feel like, I, you know, I'm not trying to justify any decision, but I just think all decisions are hard. And that's why I keep saying progress over perfection, because we're all works in progresses. And we're all trying. So at least like the fact that you try is better than nothing. <laughs> For sure. And just even the awareness of, you know, knowing about these things, like when the pandemic hit, I mean, so many things changed that you were able to do before you couldn't bring your reusable bags in. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to use the bags they gave. So I did that or, and I'll give tips, we can give tips at the end, but there were other ways to do things. And 
then you even wanted to use a produce bag because everybody's touching everything. You're like, ah, you know, with COVID, you don't want anyone to touch anything. So you would use a bag and, you know, grab it with the plastic bag. So, and then of course, like you mentioned the mask. So it's hard. And then even going, well, I started, ended up making my coffee every day at home, which was a blessing because I'd love to do that now, but I would go out once in a while before and get coffee or have it for here. Right. So I'd have it in Mm -hmm. a, a mug, but then that went away. Oh, and they don't so the do only that, way to get yeah. coffee was to go. And then you couldn't ask for no lid because they put it all, they just, that's the way they're doing things because of COVID. So really we took a giant step back on some things. Yeah. Um, I, I make my own coffee now too. <laughs> it's much cheaper. Yeah, it was great. And I actually prefer it now. So <laughs> yeah, much cheaper yeah. as well. <laughs> Like you said, there were good things about it and and, and bad. And, and I think the best thing is there are so many bills that have gone through, like I just even around the country, like France has, they're putting into effect, you know, their cutlery and plates and cups. That was in 20, beginning of 2020. And now they're going to put into effect uh, a single use plastic packaging for the sale of like 30 types of fruits and vegetables. And that happened this year of January. I didn't, you know, I some places you go, you know, bananas are wrapped in plastic and you're like, why? It Trader has its Joe's. Own. Do they have that? I don't go to Trader Joe's. Trader, but, you know. Oh yeah. Trader Joe's has a lot of things wrapped in plastic that are unnecessary. Yeah. That have their own layer. Like nobody needs get the bananas wrapped in plastic or um, crazy oranges wrapped in saran wrap on a styrofoam plate or something like that. Um, it probably but, made people feel more comfortable in COVID. I get that, but I think we can move past that now, right? I hope. But the Asian stores too, a lot of the Asian stores have, they still do that, the bigger stores. But I think in general, like it, it is very hard. And I think I was, you know, encouraged that when I visited the Sustain LA Zero Waste Station, it's the first refillable station for household products and sort of beauty products um, or some beauty products um, in East LA. But then when, while I did some more research, there's a couple of zero waste stores, at least in different places, like in San Diego or in the Bay Area or whatnot. Um, you really have to seek those out. You really got to be activated to seek those out, to take your empty bottles with you to go there or your glass mason jars to go there to fill it too. That's a whole nother thing. But the act of doing so and making it fun and just the small action of doing something like that has huge repercussions that we can all do that. But you know, at least for me, I feel like the peace of mind of doing my part and and trying to do that. And I do save all my little, like you know, even the beauty jars and stuff, the um, the big shampoo things. And so I have like a little stash of my bulk shampoo, empty bottles that I'm going to go and take to the refill station, try to refill. And a lot of these places that buy in bulk, they're very um, meticulous about their sourcing. So they show all the ingredients, what goes in there and that it's all natural and stuff. So I think that's been really nice to know too, that you could trust, trust the sourcing. Yes. Well, definitely. I'm sure we'll have more of that. I've, but you know, there's, I just went to one in Highland Park as well. It was very, very cool. Wait, is that the one? So passionate. The one? Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I think the more that there are, the better, because why not support local, like wherever it is? And everybody's at a different place where they're starting. So, you know, if you want to get involved, I think the best thing you can do, I mean, you can try and switch out some of your easier things, like a grocery bag. Um, You can get involved with your voice. Some of the 
the nonprofits that I really like are Five Gyres for their citizen scientist efforts that you can learn about. And there's also Habits of Waste. And they have a great way to get involved with with the different bills that are out there. So you can, you know, sign the petitions and be part of it, which is huge. And then PlasticFreeJuly.org that was started by like you mentioned, Rebecca Prince Ruiz. They have a little. They have a little quiz on there that you can take to see where you are and kind of start. You know, to start oh. from something. And Surfrider is a great one. Surfrider yeah, does a lot of advocacy with the legislation, which I think is so important. This is what we're seeing right now. We started with the plastic, the straw. I mean, I never really used straws anyway, but that was such a huge effort. And then that opens the doors to all the other ones that are coming. And now even, you know, when you order food online from one of the, you know, from one of the apps, now there's a little button where you would, you opt in if you want utensils, but by default, Mm -hmm. you you actually have to opt in. You don't get it, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to ask for it because if you're having your food delivered at home, I mean, I guess some people would prefer to just have plastic so they don't have to wash a fork. But I mean, isn't it just nicer to eat from a real fork and not throw away a piece of plastic that you don't need to? Mm -hmm. So there are lots of changes. Canada just put a ban of single-use plastics to go into effect, I think, at the end of 2023. So it's happening, girl. This is exciting. It's happening. And you were at the forefront, like traveling the world. When you traveled, because I know you went so many places and I just so wanted to hop on a plane and go with you to one of them and, you know, see all the different film festivals that you went to, but you, you know, you spoke about the film. What was the response then? Like, were people in the know? Were they like, wow, I had no idea. Thank you so much. Like, what was, what'd you get? I think people were, it was a lot of like, oh, that really opened up my eyes. Um, You know, it wasn't a time before the straws was a big thing. You know, it was, it was a little ahead of its time. Like it was on Netflix a little bit before Netflix became the like only place people watch things. <laughs> um, right. It was like 2015 to 2017 that was on. And um, I think, yeah, like it kind of was a little ahead of the curve, but I was like, well, I'd rather be a little ahead than behind. Right. Right. In, in what I'm doing, but uh, it was nice well, you also to be a pathway. That was such a big deal. It was nice to be a little, a little part. I was like a little part of the pathway. Cause there was also, Many other films, like Bagot was one that was before my film um, that I yes. learned about. And actually, there wasn't that many before. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I saw Bag. I'm like, let me think about it. I saw Bagot. And then, you know, all these other new organizations popped up afterwards. And so I think, you know, that was super encouraging. But I'd, I'd like to think that Plastic Paradise was a, a little, a little part in the push for change in the beginning of the bell curve. And then we kind of Kept, to keep the groundswell going, right? I mean, we just got to keep keep on keeping on. And I think that's something that I commend you for doing. You know, you've been going green with Tiffany for, for quite some time as well. Like you got to yeah. keep on keeping on because the trends will come and go. And Earth Day may be the Super Bowl for eco warriors and environmentalists and such, but it should be Earth Day every day. And it should not be just a plastic-free July or no plastic November or whatever, like it should be an everyday thing that we think about. And, you know, we could use these like weird national holiday things like national hot dog day or whatever, you know, as to catapult, to catapult us to, you know, world environment day, world oceans day, there's all these days, but I really think that it should be earth day every day. And we should think about it in small, impactful, but meaningful ways, at least personally that we can 
take away and take home and and do something about. Yes. Well, I I uh, commend you for choosing to care in this arena at a time where it was sort of new information and to continue on with it. I mean, you did a lot of a lot of tireless travel getting this film seen and out there. I feel like I was like, why did I do that, man? Like seriously, but I think <laughs> What kept me going, because it wasn't the money for sure. I mean, I definitely did not make any money on this film. I was just trying to break even from the expenses. I think the opportunity and seeing like kids' faces light up or like being like, wow, I watched your film in my class and it totally made me want to go to marine science or change their thinking or something. Even that one person or that one nugget of inspiration, like I I feel like, wow, okay, I I feel like that's, that's given me some purpose and, you know, didn't ask to be the plastic police or the, you know, with my family or like, you know, the plastic brigade or whatever. Uh, but I feel good at the end of the day. And I think, I think that was, that's my motivating factor was when I saw, especially the kids faces light up and want to change the world. That's pretty special. And I'm sure you did. I mean, yeah. I think the the film, I learned so much as well. I mean, like I said, from the receipts, I had no idea that was news to me. And oh, I yeah. thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to touch them anymore now. And I, when I took my receipts after, you know, since then, now I don't, I don't take them usually, or they get yeah. emailed, like you said, but you know, I'd have my little white gloves on and not <laughs> touch them. And then the gloves would turn like really dark from it too, you know, so you get the, in your skin is your largest organ and it just totally absorbs. So there's lots to talk about plastic. We could go on and on, but the good news is many more people are aware of it more than ever, whether hopefully more people want to do things about it. And, you know, there might be a little bit of a convenience factor that might be altered, right. For the sense of just the quick whatever it might be, whether you're ordering from Amazon or, you know, what you go pick up something quick to eat and what it's um, the packaging, but more people care and more people want to do better. And we need to find solutions for the plastic pollution. And we need to hold the companies accountable. We need to have more of these, these bills in place that are coming. So it is kind of an exciting time for plastic pollution in the sense of change. I say whoever creates like the ultimate plastic package or material that, you know, that's truly compostable or truly doesn't harm the earth. Like that's the next gazillionaire, right? (laughs) So what are three tips you can give? The three tips I give, I say, um, start small. So baby steps and just start with something one a day and, uh, challenge yourself to tell someone, whether it be on your social media or just calling someone up having that accountability. I think doing a challenge, maybe it's plastic free July, maybe it's uh, giving up straws for a week, maybe it's just counting your plastic and how much you use. I know, Tiffany, you had your friend Rob Greenfield over who was carrying his trash with him, his plastic trash on his body, running around making spreading awareness. So, you know, maybe it it's was just like collecting and figuring out what you, how much you use. So that accountability, I think is really good. But yeah, starting small, give yourself something tangible. Otherwise, the eco anxiety can just like be too much, you know, it's like futile. It's like if you think about all the things going on in the world and climate crisis and such, um, but small wins, little victories every day. Maybe steps are still steps. Yeah. And I think, you know, like as I mentioned before, progress over perfection, like we are all works in progress and everything and to just keep trying. I think, well, so one of the ones that I, I, and I discovered this really with COVID because I couldn't take in my bags is I would just put everything Mm -hmm. back in the shopping cart and wheel it out to the car and pack it in the car. That's a good one. 
Yes. Again, I know that that's extra steps and some people just aren't going to do it. They just don't have the time. But you know what I did? I bought these carts. They're like collapsible crates. So they're kind of like these plastic, um, you know, they're plastic, but they're collapsible. And I got them at Costco and then I just fold them up and leave them in my car. And then I, you know, assemble that, you know, it just pops together and I put it in my shopping cart and I just fill the stuff with it and then, you know, check out and then they just put it back in. And then you just move the cart into your car. So oh, that's you easy could do too. that as well. And then I just leave it in my car, which is the same as the shopping bag. It's just like less like, you know, carrying stuff. It's just like in more of like um, a cart with little handles. Right. But um, That's great. And now there's so much you were talking about innovation. There's, you know, what I really love is uh, they have these laundry sheets now. So if you think about what long, you know, yes, yes, there's the pods, but those pods, and they're in the, I don't know what the plastic they're wrapped in, but I don't use those. They have laundry detergent sheets and uh-huh. you, oh. they come in a box and then you put them in your washer and now you don't have a big jug. You don't have to worry mm-hmm. about measuring the right amount of, you know, liquid and it doesn't take up any space. It's just, it's awesome. So that's, that's a really right. good. They have those tablets too, where it's like concentrated tablets for cleaning and you can like yeah. drop it in with water and then mix it. And then you have cleaner. So you could just keep the same bottle and not go back and buy. Cause if you think about it, like we buy a lot of things that are just like packaged, like packaged water, right? With the, with the whatever all purpose cleaner or whatnot in it. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot of different things you can do now. So no excuses, right? We can all start somewhere. No excuses. Um, yes. I just think we we have to take baby steps. There's a lot happening on the use of packaging. And of course, like when I go to the recycling center, Amazon, the boxes that are there piled up, not just Amazon boxes, but just shipping boxes, piled mountains. I mean, okay, not plastic, but cardboard, but just from shipping. And I thought, you know, know, and there's a way to let Amazon know, can you let Amazon know, don't use the plastic envelopes. Can you use something different? You know, they do have that option now, like the green option. And I have to say, like, I'd like to buy local and be more, um, be able to do that more. But as a new mom, it has been very helpful to be able to have things delivered because sometimes you just, you're just not going to make it to the store. (laughs) Most of the times you're not going to make it to the store. So, but yeah, speaking of baby steps, I need to go check up on this baby. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you for joining us. Angela Sun, Angela Sun, please check out Plastic Paradise, The Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It is a relevant movie. It has a lot of information. I mean, I really enjoyed it. And so can they still, can everybody still watch it on the same platforms? It's on all the digital platforms, whichever one that you like to use. You can, you know, rent it on YouTube, on Vimeo, on our website is probably the best, which is plasticparadisemovie.com. And I do cover a lot of environmental issues for the show that I'm on now, which is California Live on NBC. So you can follow and check it out. I guess everyone's dropping their socials. So follow my socials, I guess, um, for those stories. But I have been researching a lot of the innovations, which is really exciting. Yeah. What's your Insta? Oh, I'm sorry. I should probably tell you what they are. Uh, <laughs> at, at Sunny Angela at uh, is the main one. And at Plastic P Dice, D-I-S. S-E is Plastic Paradise. Um, but yeah, at Sunny Angela is like where it's at for all things that I'm up to. But if you have any questions or want to connect or kind of be put in touch with certain organizations or have questions about something, but the plethora of information is on Green with Tiffany, of course. <laughs> so 
Ah, thanks. Well, thanks for joining us and and sneaking away from little Kai. Of course, I hear him. I hear him crying. So I'm going to let you go. Have a great weekend and plastic free, peeps. Plastic free. Plastic free July. Thank you. Don't forget to follow us at Green with Tiffany. Follow the community. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. You can find me at greenwithtiffany.com and on Instagram. Till next time, choose to care.